Knowing I Am. That's the title for the sermon series during Advent, beginning today and continuing through the first Sunday in January. Do you know who you are? Not possible unless you know I am. Join us as we learn who he is. Take your Bibles or your copy of the Word of God. If you're able to stand with me, let's turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I want to begin reading in verse 17. I hope you will keep your Bibles open uh, throughout the sermon because we will be referring to the 44 verses that open chapter 11. But we're going to read beginning in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is Love. The Apostle Paul. But we will not and we cannot know what true love is apart from a faithful relationship with God through Jesus that is lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit who births in us a hope that is refreshingly real every day of our lives. Pastor Al. Now I know which of those I would pay more attention to, but if we're going to understand what faith is and what hope is and what love is, we will only understand them not from our perspective, but from the perspective that is birthed in us by the Holy Spirit of God as we seek to live our lives to give glory to God, seeking to love and be loyal to Jesus. We come today to one of the most beautiful of the I Am sayings, as if they're not all beautiful, in John chapter 11. It is that saying where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die Do you believe this? 
It's on the screen for you. Why don't we say it together? Why don't we own it together? Let's go. I am the resurrection. Oh, that's our Awana crowd. Got to get the tagline on. Uh, do we? I'm serious. I'm asking you and me, do we really believe this? John 11 has been called various things. It's been called the climactic moment in the unfolding account of the gospel of John. It's been called the trigger for the wrath of the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes to come against Jesus. John MacArthur calls it the capstone moment of the life and ministry of Jesus. Matt Carter calls it the final word in the gospel of John so that we will know exactly who Jesus is and why Jesus came. It is there to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. There are no alternatives. That Jesus indeed is the Son of God and there are no other ways to God to show us that Jesus is the Lord and he's the Lord over all and he is the Lord of all. It is there to communicate to us that if we're going to know anything at all about love or about hope or about faith, we will know it and experience it and express it only as we seek to live our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago when I was reading through commentaries preparing for this particular message, there was one sentence in a commentary that just triggered something in me, and it was a sentence where the commentator said that, in essence, John 11 is about the definition of what true love is, what true hope is, what true faith is. Is. And those are three things we all need in our lives. Would you agree? Now, Paul put it as he put it in 1 Corinthians 13. In the end, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so I want to invite you this morning as we walk through John 11, beginning in verse 1, first to look at what he says to us about true love, then to listen to what he says about genuine hope, and the ground for both of those is real, true, Holy Spirit-driven faith. What is true love? Look at the participants in this scene. Now, a certain man was ill. He's Lazarus of Bethany. It's the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Lazarus is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Eleazar. Eleazar was one of the sons of Aaron. You remember Aaron had four sons. Two of them were killed because they thought they could worship God in a better way than what God had declared as the way of worshiping him. So God just put them to death on the spot. He was left with two sons who served under him in the priesthood, and one of those emerged into the high priesthood position after the death of his father Aaron, and that was Eliezer. Maybe Lazarus was named after Eliezer, we don't know, but that's how he would have been known among his fellow Jews. 
Jews, Eliezer, and there with them in the home was Mary. And we're told about Mary, verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. We see this account in other gospels, but we're never told who it is. John wants us to know this is the Mary, the one who lived in Bethany with her sister Martha. And we know about Mary when Jesus came to their home. She would get out her Bible. He would sit in the chair or sit on the floor and she would listen to him teach. It was aggravating to her sister because Mary was more right-brained. She was more organized or oriented to her heart. She wanted to experience the presence of God in Jesus. Martha was always the left-brained person who said, hey, somebody's got to eat and somebody's got to fix the food and somebody needs to tell Mary to get up off the floor and help us. Martha was not the one who applauded, but aren't you glad you have Martha's in your house and aren't you glad you have Martha's in the church? We need Mary's and Martha's both, yes? But she's the left out one. Her name is mentioned here, but what's said about her? The focus here is on Lazarus. He was ill. Now you look at verses 1 through 4 and you see that four times we're told he's ill. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. Uh, The word ill here has to do with weakness, a weakness in body, a weakness in mind, a weakness in spirit. Uh, Something's gone wrong with Lazarus and he's laid up in the house and it doesn't look good. So the sisters, verse 3, sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, that word love is one of three words for love that's used in the Greek language for love. It is is the word for friendship love. It is, I believe, the key to the opening section of this account. He whom you love, he whom is your friend is ill. Now, they're sitting there at their computer screen. They type the message, a very short message. What do you think they're thinking right before they hit send? This is Jesus. He doesn't need to come here. What we want, well, you can tell me, what did they want Jesus to do? They wanted him to heal Lazarus. He doesn't have to come here. He can just say. He can just think. He can just... Send the power of God toward Lazarus and Lazarus is healed. And Jesus loves him. Jesus is a friend with Lazarus and with Mary and Martha. He's been in their homes, in their home many times. When Jesus heard it, verse 4, this is what he said. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the purpose is that the Son of God, Jesus himself, may be glorified through it so that people may see who Jesus is and what Jesus can do as the one who is sent from God but is God in the flesh. So he gives us the purpose. It's about far more than healing 
It's about far more than Lazarus getting what his sisters want him to get. It's way beyond that. Do you know that sometimes you and I are asking God to do something and we don't know God's plans? And God is planning, purposing to do something far beyond what we're asking to bring glory to his name and to exalt his son. And many of us can be so focused on ourselves when we don't get what we're praying for, we get upset with God. Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life and he's doing good and glorious things, thousands of them in every situation, most of which we do not ever know? So when Jesus gets the message, this is what we read in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now the word loved here is not the same word that the sisters use. It's a different word. It's the word for the kind of love that we do not have from birth or by nature. It's the kind of love that comes from God through Jesus Christ indwelling us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is no natural kind of love. Do you know that as a human being born in sin, the highest form of love you can ever reach apart from Jesus is friendship love? That is why lost people place great emphasis on friendship, relationship, because it's as high as they can go. Do you know what happens in a culture that is decreasingly oriented to the word of God and the way of Jesus when as high as that culture can go is friendship love. And when friendship love fails. Now, how many of you know that friendship love will fail? Because friendship love is between sinners. And as sinners, we fail. You ever had a boyfriend to drop you? Or a girlfriend to drop you? Or a friend to walk away from you? A friendship love will fail you. And in a culture that is decreasingly oriented to the Word of God, we don't go up toward God's love. We go down to the most basic form of love in the world. You know what it is? Sexual love. And we believe, we actually believe that we can find meaning and purpose in a romantic sexual relationship. And when we can't find it in a fallen society, when we can't find it in heterosexual love, then we go to every other form of love because we are looking for love in all the wrong places because our need for love is endemic to who we are But when we are falling away from God as a culture and friendship love fails, we don't long and look for God. We look into ourselves and we try to find love in places that will never produce it. Jesus, Jesus really loved Martha. He didn't come. I think we have this. This slide to put up, he did not come just to heal our 
diseases and to make life better for us. I want you to see this. Jesus does not exist for us primarily to heal our diseases or to do what it takes to extend our lives here, but to give us real life here, which brings peace and joy for all eternity. Jesus comes to bring us life that stares down and overcomes death. You know what I believe? I believe our culture has moved so far from God that we have we have professing Christians who in the midst of someone's illness, even if that person is advanced in years, we would rather God heal them so that they could be here with us than for them to be in heaven forever rejoicing with God. We have lost our way. Because God loves, God's love is the only kind of love that can stare sin down and say, I gave my son to take away that sin. And because I gave my son to take away that sin, death has no power over you. And when you and I do not know the love of God in Christ Jesus, we find ourselves loving out of our fleshly natures rather than out of the experience of the love of God. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This can only be explained as a decision that is delayed so that he can demonstrate that nobody will ever manipulate him or use him for their own agendas. He didn't go immediately. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, there are only 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. We must do the work that God has called us to do. And in this case, it is not healing Lazarus. It is far beyond that, that God might be glorified. Jesus wants to teach us here, I believe, about what death is for the believer and what real love is for believers. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Do you see that? Verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. When a believer dies, a believer falls asleep in Jesus. They're at peace. They enter into eternal joy. They enter into the joy of their Lord forever. Death is disruptive and death brings despair. We will get to that in a minute. But Jesus wants us to know that for the child of God, death is not destructive. Judgment is past. Grace is given. Joy has come. The disciples didn't understand. Verse 12, they said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. You might believe in Jesus. You might see who I am in the face of death, but let us go to him. I love verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, I wished, I wished I could do Eeyore. Y'all know who Eeyore is, don't you? I'd love to be able to imitate Eeyore. If you don't know who Eeyore is, you... But I can't imitate Eeyore is always looking on the dark side. I mean, it's always. And Eeyore said, and Thomas, not Eeyore, Thomas acting like Eeyore. Thomas says, let us go with him that we might die too. No, in the face of death, in the face of death, we know the best is yet to be. For every child of God. But I believe that you and I, and I want to take just a moment to do this. You and I need to learn again as believers. And I'm talking to believers here because no unbeliever can know or experience or express this kind of love. We need to know and understand what real love is as it's come from God to us through our love for and loyalty to Jesus Christ. I want to say four things about it very quickly. It's in the outline. It's on the screen. You can see them. Think about them. Number one, real love is rooted in trust of God, resting upon a desire to know God and to obey God. When you experience the love of God in Jesus for you, what it births in you is a deep, overwhelming, unquenchable desire to know God and to obey God. Number two, When you know the love of God in Christ Jesus, you will find in God and from God all that you need. You know what one of our problems is? We don't believe that. So we look from other people. We look for other people to give us the kind of love that only God can give us. Husbands look for it from their wives. Their wives can't give it to them. Wives look for it from their husbands. Your husband can't give it to you. In our culture, parents look for it from their children, and your children can't give it to you. And children look for it from their parents, and your parents can't give it to you. And if they don't, you will find friends who will say they love you and use you and exploit you to get what they want from you and end up sometimes abusing you because we don't know the truth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, this is a big one. We release the need to control others in order for us to be happy. Some of us have our happiness tied to what other people do to please us. And we will do anything to get them to do what we want them to do so we will be pleased. It's a horrible way to live. And it leads into an unending cycle of darkness and despair. Number four, we don't seek shortcuts. Sometimes, this is particularly too with, true with parents and children, sometimes God deliberately is taking your child into a situation of darkness and despair, and what you want to do, tell me if, if this isn't true, you want to reach in, put your arms underneath that child and lift them out, and you pervert or prevent the outworking of the glorious purposes of God. Don't, don't play God. Don't circumvent what God is doing. Johnny Erickson Tata. 
I love Johnny Erickson Tata. This is what she says. I hate this wheelchair. But if this wheelchair can be used of God to bring glory to God, I will stay it in it until the day God takes me out of it. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. Hudson Taylor says, we can only know the fullness of the presence and power of God through real pain. Pain has its purposes in your life to bring you closer to God and to make you more useful to God in re- outreach to others. But you will never get to that place if you understand love as coming from anywhere else but God. You know what the key is? When you understand and experience the depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ for you, you're free to love all people everywhere in every way. And you don't need anything, really. You're grateful that people love you and care for you, but you don't need it because you've got all the love you need in Jesus. He is enough. Do you believe this? Hope. Hope. A real hope comes from God through Jesus. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, verse 17, had already been in the tomb for Days. That's important because four days marked for the Jews the time when death had really come. They did not seal a tomb. They wrapped up a body partially until the end of four days. And then they finished the work if there was no sign of movement, no sign of life. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews, many of the Jews, this says something about the prosperity and the prominence of this family, that people came from Jerusalem, walked two miles to get to Bethany to begin with them the process of grieving. They had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, they're friends and she's operating out of this friendship. Lord, or sir, more likely, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's rebuking him and requesting that he do something and that he do it fast. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jewish people believed that there would be a resurrection on the last day and every person who died will face the judgment of God and those who had done right would be sent to heaven. Those who had done wrong would be sent to hell. Christians believe in a resurrection of the last dead, of the resurrection of the dead on the last day. The Bible teaches this. It's clear. And every believer will be raised from the grave, from the bottoms of the sea, from the battlefields. We will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ not to be judged. Why will you as a believer not be judged? Because the judgment that you deserve was taken by Jesus for you. You are forever delivered from the judgment of God. Could you shout hallelujah? Praise God. You'll be judged for the works that you've done, been, that, that you've done in your life to receive the rewards, works that you've done as a part of the church. And when that judgment is over, uh, you will receive a new body, a brand new body, the body that is perfect in every way. No sickness, no sin, no stain, no spot. Uh, for men, no hair because God only puts hair on those who are vile sinners. Amen.
And you will gather with Jesus and all the saints and you will live on the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever. I believe there are people who think our final destination is heaven. Your final destination is not heaven. Your final destination is the new heaven and the new earth that God has prepared for all those who love him and serve him. And that day is coming. Do we believe this? But there's something more. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. I am the resurrection. I am now the resurrection. I've come to bring you out of death into life now and to give you the life that I can give you. And I'm the only one who can give it to you right now. Whoever believes in me. Though he dies. Now, this could refer to spiritual death. We don't know. Could refer to physical death. Could refer to both. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Jesus has come as the resurrection and the life, friend, to give you life right now, new life right now, his life surging through your veins right now, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you right now. He's come to give you that. And everyone who has this life, And believes in me shall never die. I want to ask you something. Believer, are you afraid of death? I want to tell you why this verse means so much to me. I'm not afraid of death. I'm just afraid of the process. I've told you before, I'd be perfectly happy to die preaching. It would suit me fine if I said, and finally, and bang. How's it going to happen? This is what this verse says. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus is living inside of you, God knows today, he knows today the moment you're going to die. And right before you breathe your last, wherever you are, you know what's going to happen? God's going to come. How's he going to come? I don't know. He may send an angel. I don't know. He doesn't tell us that. But God's going to come and he's going to take you away. And when your body expires in that moment, you won't be there. You're gone. You're with him. I don't fear death or die. I've been lots, I've been, I've been with lots of believers who've died. I've had believers die in my arms as a pastor. No more peaceful place to be than there. Because God has taken them home. They're with God. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, death causes grief. Verse 28, when she had said this, just hang with me a few more minutes. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, look at this. The first thing she did was not like Martha, ask him practical, rational, logical questions. She fell at his feet. She worshipped him. And on her knees, she's saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died when Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I pray you never lose a loved one to death without knowing that grieving in those moments is very real and very right. Jesus, the text says, was moved. It's a word that means to groan inside yourself so deeply that you can't put what's going on in words. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what to say? It's so painful, all you can do is go, That's what he's doing. Why? Because I believe Jesus sees in real life what sin does. Sin produces death. And death produces sorrow. There are some of you who have lost loved ones to death this year. Some of you lost loved ones to death 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I promise you, whenever that death happened, it shapes your Christmas from then on. You feel the loss more now than ever. Don't ever, don't ever think, oh my, don't ever think, well, God must be disappointed. He knows. He knows. It's right here. Some of you have seen failed relationships this year. You've seen families fragmented. And you're feeling that grief during this season. That's real and he knows. And he brings us in the midst of that real hope. Jesus comes to where Lazarus is. Where have you laid him? And the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's the same word that's used the first time in this passage. It's friendship love. They don't know the love of God in Jesus. And they see how much of a friend they were. But some of them, look at this, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Do you know there are a lot of lost people who see someone die, particularly someone who's young, and they point their fist at God and they say crazy things like this. If there is a God, God could have stopped that from happening. Well, he could. But such statements show how hard a heart is and can be toward God. God is good. 
And God has good and glorious purposes in every situation in our lives. And we don't see them most often. Most of us will live through death into heaven and not see those good purposes. So we trust God and we live in faith knowing that only God in Jesus can overcome the ruin of sin and the ravages of death. Look what happens. Then Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Kind of ironic, the same kind of tomb that Jesus would be buried in, not far from this time. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister, again, practical one, left brain one. She, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days, as if Jesus didn't know that. She's going to inform the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus said to her, knowing her heart, did I, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away of the stone. Jesus speaks to Martha, giving her command of instruction, take away the stone, remove the stone. Then Jesus speaks to his father. He prays. They took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He shows his dependence on God. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's glorifying God through an act of obedience. This is obedience to God. And then he speaks to the dead man. When he had said this, when he had said these things, verse 43, he cried out with a loud voice. He did not whisper. Lazarus! Come out. The voice of Jesus is the only voice in the whole universe that can raise the dead. He came out. Bandages still around him, feet bound up. It had to be a sight to see. Head covering over his face. Unwrap him. Set him free. Every believer in this room, when you die, you will go to be with God. And on that great last day, you will be given a new body. You will join Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. You will live there forever. But if you're not a believer... If I weren't a believer, I believe, if I weren't a believer and I knew I was under the judgment of God and if I died today, I would go to hell. I would get on my face right now and beg Jesus, please call my name. Please. Call my name, Al. Al, come out.
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? From the walls and halls of eternity, through the corridors of time, through the womb of a virgin, you came. In a life lived in faithful and full obedience to the law, you came. In the face of temptation that was tearing your insides apart, you came. Through rejection by the world and rejection by your own, you came. Through misunderstandings and confusion about you, you came. Through trial, through mocking, through maligning, through beatings, through bruising, through blood, you came. Through the resurrection on The third day, through 40 days of teaching, through ascension, where you're at the right hand of the Father even now, you came. And one day, you will come again. So God, by your Spirit, would you speak into the hearts of those even now who do not know you, whose lives are in a tomb and call them out. In Jesus' name, amen.